All right, everyone. Hello, Redstone Church. Go ahead and make your way back to your seats. Do me a favor, remain standing for the authority of God's Word. Go ahead and remain standing for uh, the authority of God's Word. You should see the passage in, this, in your worship guide, but also we want you to turn in your Bibles because there's two different passages that we're going to be reading from. So Luke chapter 1 and then also Luke chapter uh, 24. So this is the authority of God's Word according to Luke chapter 1. Inasmuch as many under, have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, it seems good to me also having followed all things closely closely from some time past, to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Now turn all the way to Luke chapter 24. uh, Sorry, 24, uh, verses 44 and following. So these are some of the last words of Jesus in, in Luke chapter 24. And he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophet and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to Uh, in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. And so all people, all of God's people say, Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. And so this week was a tough week for the Till family. We put down our dog, Athens. I mean, rough. 12 years with the same dog. I mean, so it's been a blubbering mess at the Till household. So I still remember, so we've been reflecting on Athens. When we first picked out Athens, he was the cutest uh, of the group, of course, but we knew very little about him because he was only six weeks old. So you go back at 12 weeks old, and he's grown up just a little bit. And so we find a breeder in Elizabethton. Her name is Elfrida. If you ever want a dog, make sure that your breeder's name is Elfrida. They produce the best dogs. So when Alfredo hands us this puppy, he, she says, now this one is a talker. And we're like, what? <laughs> okay. So she'd been raising this dog and it was telling us that he has some personality. Now this one is a talker. And then said, do you want to see a trick? And we're like, yeah, we love tricks. So she brings in the mother of Athens uh, to us and opens up a bag of Doritos. Has the dog sit holds out the chip and says, speak. And the dog looks up, starts to drool like all boxers do. And and then Alfreda says, say, I want one. And that dog said, I want one. Gave her a Dorito. 
did it again. I want one. Gave another Dorito. And so we looked at Athens like, well, okay, this is going to be amazing. So a couple of years goes by, fully developed. And so we're like, all right, Doritos, let's see if you do your trick. So he knew how to speak. So we told him to sit, we told him to speak, and he would just bark. And so finally we said, say, I want one. And this dog, no kidding, I mean, it was three syllables. So we're not real sure exactly what it was. But to us, it's, he said, I want one. This was some dog. So today is about wanting something. Like truly wanting something. Or maybe m- more often than not, not wanting something. And this is what we're going to be talking about right here. The Bible. So when coerced, you know, when asked, where does your relationship with this book right here, the Bible, do you want it? Do you desire it? What is your relationship with the Bible? We're going to challenge you this summer to actually bring a physical representation of your Bible with you this summer. Now, is there anything wrong with your phones and your apps and your tablets? Absolutely not right? However, we want you to lug this thing around with you because we want you to be reminded this summer in particular that this thing is of substance. It cannot be dismissed. It cannot be forgotten. This thing needs to be front and center. So we want you to lug this thing around with you on Sunday. Now, I know it's a little inconvenient. It can't be fit in your back pocket, you know, like your phone will, but this is what we want you to do. We want you to actually have a little physical and spiritual exercise every morning and actually bring this to us. This is what we're going to be talking about. Because society at large has something other to say about this Bible here. You see, people are a little bit unsure about what this Bible is exactly. There are some who say, yeah, this thing is good, right? And it has some pretty good teachings. It has a few morals. And yet, bullet point one is for you to expect everybody to get on board and to believe as you believe, you're crazy. Society will also say that, uh, yeah, from what I've heard, like the Bible is an old book. And this thing is full of errors and full of flaws and full of inconsistencies. And for those reasons, I don't want anything to do with it. Are they right? A third group of people would say, listen, the Bible was good for what it was or what it was intended to be. This thing was, in all accounts, you know, over a thousand, maybe two thousand years old. But at this point, this is modern world. This is the year 2023. Isn't this thing just an old relic? And shouldn't it just be thrown into a dustpan of history? So these are the types of things that the society actually believes. This summer, we want to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for this one area. What is the Bible? For eight weeks, we're going to be discussing this question. We're going to ask from all kinds of different angles exactly how your relationship with this Bible is. The fact that you are at a church and that you potentially own a Bible and you want to listen to a message like this means that you may not be as skeptical as these groups of people. 
And so in our discussions, we've thought about three different people groups that might be here today. First and foremost, we are living in a post-Christian world in which your workplace and your best friends and your family members are walking away from Jesus and walking away from the Christian faith in droves. You've got coworkers that were raised in a, a religious home but has truly walked away from it. And so when you bring up the topic of the Bible, if you bring up spirituality, they will shut you down or they will ask you questions that you are truly uncomfortable answering or maybe not able to answer at all. And so if you are in that group of people that are getting some of these hard questions, maybe just a little bit shy or timid to engage these scholarly questions, this series is for you. There's another group of people in here that may um, be teetering a little bit. Some of you are far enough along in your walk with the Lord that you actually may be questioning your faith. You may have some of these skeptics or skeptical remarks even in your own heart. And maybe you haven't walked away from Jesus or you haven't walked away from the church yet, but the questions are truly mounting in your heart. Well, this summer, we hope to come alongside you in some of your questions, telling you to be unafraid to ask some of the hardest questions because this is the time and this is the space and these are the people in which you would love, we would love to have that conversation with. Then there's a third group of people that have become just um, a little bit too comfortable with the Bible. They've been comfortable with maybe just Sunday school answers or just generic type of knowledge. As research shows, even among like God-fearing, Jesus-loving, church-attending people, the phrase biblical illiteracy continues to rise. We've become a people that are truly illiterate when it comes to the things of the Bible. And so maybe you just need a little bit of a sharpening. And so this summer, for eight weeks, uh, we're going to be doing that. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to be answering these uh, eight questions. We formed them in the, the, the we, we, we're asking questions because we want to fill in the blanks for you. So here's, here are they as follows. What is the Bible that's today? How do we know these are God's words, which will be really good next week? Um, how can people know about God without the Bible. So people are like, I, I love God. I like him. I just don't want anything to do with the Bible. Um, how did we get it? So how did it arrive here, like in space? Like where did that come from? Is it full of error or isn't it full of errors or contradictions? Uh, why is it so complicated to read? Like, whew, man, I don't even understand these things. How do I study? Like I've got it. I kind of want to engage, but how would you tell me to study it? And uh, how should I engage with it on a daily basis? So I'm going to take the first four, and I'm going to set a good foundation to be able to, to get us going. But then in the month of July, I'm going to be off, and we're going to have our next-gen preachers. And so Jeremiah Foster, whoa, whoa. Joe Penny, whoa, whoa. Uh, y'all aren't getting any whoops. Uh, Gary Ellis, whoa. oh, Gary got a, a whoop. Oh, so we know the order with you guys. So the next-gen guys, uh, they're going to take all of July, and they're going to engage at a very serious, serious level. So pray for them. Come, come alongside them and be able to engage with this enormous topic together. 
on Mondays, Monday afternoons from 4 o'clock to 5.15, uh, we're actually going to do a preaching class at the office. So if you want to maybe potentially preach next summer, uh, if you actually want to know exactly how a sermon is put together, just know that the next-gen guys are going to be around the table. We're going to be fist-fighting a little bit over text and how things are developed. But uh, show up to the office on Mondays in the month of June from 4 to 5.15. All right, so here's the topic of today. What is the Bible? What is the Bible? So most secular uh, uh, and uh, historians and religious historians will say this. Just, let me just absolutely clear. This is the most important book of human history. You don't even have to believe it. But the amount or the effect that this book has made on society, it is the most important book of all of history. And it's amazing that both secular people and religious people would come to the same consensus. So let that sink in. What you hold or what you own truly has made an impact on all of this world. There's no other book that has shaped life and culture and humanity and history like this book. Now, it's long. Mine, you know, I've, got, I've had to go up from the 10 font because I'm losing my eyesight, right? So it's a little bigger font, but I've got about 1,500 pages in this baby. So it's long, right? It is complicated. And so what we want you to know, first and foremost, is that it is a book, right? It does have a cover. That's true. However, it's more like a library than an actual book. You see, inside this book, there are many smaller books. And each of these smaller books gives us a little bit of an inclination of who God is in a different way. And so it's more of a collection of books or a library of books that's, um, that's more than just one single book. So it's a collection. It's a collection of different cultures and a different authors and a different emphasis You've got things like discourse where you have relationships with other people and so we have real conversations in the Bible. You also have poetry where it's just speaking in all kinds of wonderful imagery and it's wonderful to hear these things come off the page. You also have narrative. Narrative is just good old-fashioned storytelling. There's a character, right? There's a main character. There's a plot twist. There's a climax. There's a rising tension. Just good, old-fashioned storytelling narrative. If you want to know what's in your Bible, know that 43% of all of your Bible is narrative. So we have to understand that story, and we have to become very comfortable with story to be able to even understand this thing. We have all kinds of mediums in order to be able to get to us. We still rely very heavily on the written word. Check your Facebook account or your Twitter account or your web, your, your favorite web pages. A lot of these have to do with words coming to you. Here we have, in God's grace, his words to us. This is the doctrine called condescension. And so when someone has a condescending tone, it's usually negative, right? They're talking down to you. But when we're talking about God and his grace 
and his gifts to his people. He condescends down to us so that we find these words palatable. You see, without him coming to us in real words, we would not be able to understand anything. His ways are higher than our, our ways. His knowledge, I mean, just it will blow our mind. We can't comprehend anything. He's from everlasting to everlasting. So the very fact that you are holding a Bible or you have access to the Bible is an act of grace because God has given that to us. Now, it's not only long, but it also got to us for a really long time right? It's, it, it took a long time. So uh, their very first parts of it is, is called the Torah, right? And it was written by Moses. Moses was in the year uh, 1500 before Jesus, right? And so 1500 before the life of Jesus, Moses is scribbling or etching or doing something that we still have. Let that blow you away. I don't know what 1500 times 2000 is, right? Math majors. That's over 3,000 years ago. Someone wrote something down that they heard from God, and you have it in your possession. Not only Moses, but then David. David was about 1,000 years ago. Wrote down the Psalms, right? And all kinds of wonderful things. 1,000 years ago, we have words that were over 1,000 years. Then the prophets. prophets uh, prophet Isaiah was 700 years before Jesus. And so it took about a thousand years because the intertestinal period is about 400 years. So there were these truly scribes from the year uh, 1500 all the way to 1740. They're just scribbling and they're writing and they're hearing from God and they're putting it in a source. And that's what we have at our disposal. What we have is not just a collection, right? But it's in different categories. I want you to know about your Old Testament, all right? So I've given you a word up there. It's called Tanakh, all right? You want to say it out loud just to wake you up? Tanakh, right? Okay, so Tanakh, here we go. The T stands for Torah, right? That's the law. Those are the first five books of the Bible, also known as the Pentateuch. Pentateuch is a Greek word that means um, a five scrolls, all right? And so the first five books of the Bible is Torah or the law or the law of Moses. All of these are synonyms for those first five books. The N stands for um, uh, Navaim, okay? Navaim, all right? This are the words of the prophets. So if you are Malachi, or if you are Amos, or if you are Ezekiel, all of these prophets, right, are fit into a category that the N stands for. And then the K, Ketavim. Ketavim is a generic word for writings. Basically, everything else. When we look at Jesus at the end, in chapter 24 of Luke's gospel, he actually talks about these categories. Did you pick that up? You pick up that even in Jesus and even in the way that he understood the Bible, his Old Testament, he was sitting them and putting them not just as a collection, but he's putting them in categories. The reason that you and I need to know that is we need to know what we are reading and how we should read certain things. Again, it is part of Jesus or part of our, uh, our gift is to get this from the Lord. And so there's 39 books in the Old Testament, all of them different, 
right? Some of them sound redundant and maybe just a little bit, but they're all different in, in, these, in these categories. You've got some history books, you've got some poetry, you've got some discourse. I mean, it's just all over the place. What about the New Testament? The New Testament, a little smaller, right? And a little shorter. Uh, Just in kind of generic terms, we know that we have our first writings in the 40s, 40 years after uh, after Jesus' birth. And our last writings is from John on the Isle of Patmos in the 90s. So some just quick math is that we we have a much shorter uh, amount of period, only about 60 years of writings for our New Testament. It's also much shorter in nature and also has fewer authors. And so just know that that's what you have. You have 66 different books that are both a collection, but also are in categories in and of themselves. We okay? Who cares, right? Who cares? The real question is not what is it, right? Anybody can dissect a book. What kind of authority does this book have in our lives? Because that's where we're going to really start to see some movement. That's where it's truly going to happen. We believe as a church, in a doctrine statement, as a preaching, you know, team, we believe these are God's very words. That God, in his sufficiency, and his sovereignty, and his goodness, and his brilliance, that the way that he designed the world is for you and I to be able to put our eyes on words, to be able to understand the concepts too glorious for even us to even understand. But in God's very nature, he allowed us to have these things. In the Old Testament alone, there's this phrase, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, is uh, mentioned 415 times. Meaning, 415 times on the course of the Old Testament, the Lord himself spoke and someone else dictated those things. Just to put it in perspective, there's only about 900 chapters in the Old Testament. So every other uh, chapter has the very words of God on it. So what is thus says the Lord? This is an edict. An edict from a king, a king so powerful and wonderful and good that he, when he says something, he wants his people to actually respond and to listen. This is what we have from God. We have his challenges, we have his questions, but more than that, we have the story of who he is. Some of you in here believe that the Bible is full of rules for you and I to obey, which is partly true. But what the Bible truly is, is that it has an authority over our lives because this is the story of God and God alone. How would we know of him without these words? We would be in the dark for most of that. So it's not just this little phrase that God is saying, thus says the Lord, but the New Testament confirms it as well. 2 Timothy 3 says all scripture is, you know, God breathed or breathed out by God. Meaning these words that we have, God breathed on him, on them. The very uh, first segment of the scriptures, we have God's creation, right? And it's beautiful and wonderful and good. 
And he was able to form and make, and it was wonderful by design and intelligence. He forms Adam, and what does he do? He breathes into his nostrils to give him life. And so the symmetry is just too strong to ignore. The only way that we are going to not just have air in our lungs, but to be able to have sustainability throughout life is to really to take this book seriously. In all my readings uh, this week, uh, someone said that if you cut Jesus, he bled the scriptures. I thought that was amazing. So we don't just have the Old Testament confirming uh, that this is, these are God's words. We don't just have the New Testament, but Jesus himself. Why? When he was on the cross and he was crying out, what is he crying out? He cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where is he getting this phrase? Where is he getting this declaration? Why is he saying it in this way? Well, it comes from Psalm 22. He is declaring back to God his very words. So David, right, when, in, as he is inscribing, he, he makes it real in that context. But the way Jesus is now using it is Psalm 22 was all about him. Jesus, even in our passage in, in Luke 24, uses this phrase, so that it will be fulfilled. Meaning the scriptures are empty-handed. They're, they're, just, they're just empty, and then all of a sudden, boom, they all make sense. Because in the person and work of Jesus, they're fulfilled. And then lastly, in his temptation. The temptations of Jesus. Fisticuffs with the devil himself. What is he doing? He's quoting scripture. Not just scripture, but he's, he's, he's quoting Torah, the book of Deuteronomy. Over and over and over. He defeats the devil through Scripture. And what does he say? He says, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What we have here is truly a grace. We as a society have become pretty flippant. Maybe it's because we own more than one. Maybe it's because it can be downloaded as an app. But these are God's words. How serious do you take these words? When you read it, right? When you pray through them, when you journal, right? As you study, this series is supposed to be provocative in nature to get you back into your Bibles. But not just reading it, not just devotionally, but also to know our Bible. The culture, right, and the way that the culture is coming, they're asking really hard questions. You're going to hear me quote a guy named Sam Harris. Don't look him up unless you're ready. Sam Harris is the modern-day apologist from, from the other side of the argument, and he's good. He's very good. And so if we don't have questions to what the world is truly asking then more and more and more people will simply shrug and walk away. John 10 tells us, my sheep hear my voice. And when they hear it, when they hear it, they can't help but to follow and listen to him. There's an old story about Billy Graham. Billy Graham in the early part of his ministry was actually running in circles with people who believed that the Bible was, had errors in it. 
right? That that wasn't, that, and so with these errors there, and with these contradictions, they were starting to dismiss some passages, if not full parts of the Bible. And as Billy Graham and these other guys started to have conversation, there was turmoil in Billy Graham's heart. He found himself as the main speaker of a camp out in California. And he was still wrestling with the Lord, like, what do I truly believe? These guys were pretty convincing, and yet what he believed in his heart of hearts is that God's word is, is not, doesn't have errors, but these are God's word, and what God does is he cannot lie, and so what he's given to us is good and, and fruitful and wonderful. And like all good camp experiences, Billy, not preaching, but actually wandering in the woods in California with his Bible in tow, he was crying out to the Lord, Lord, will you please share uh, will you show yourself to me? And it was in, in that walk or in those woods where it was confirmed in Billy Graham's heart, this, these are God's very words. And it changed his ministry forever. If you go back and listen to Billy, some of Billy Graham's sermons, he uses this little phrase over and over and over. The scripture says, and oftentimes he holds up his Bible, because what he's doing in that gesture, and then the Bible says he is holding that word above him as one that has authority. They say that the Bible can have three positions in your life, right? It can be beside you like a buddy, like a friend, and there can be a conversation with it in which every time you pick up your Bible, it's for you. You're reading yourself into the narrative. And so every time you read it, you know, it's only about you, and that's more like of a buddy. Some of the more skeptical in here actually have the Bible underneath you, and you're actually standing on top of it. And sure, it's a thing that you can't dismiss, but you have an authority over it, and you question its validity. But for Billy Graham and for us in here this morning, we want you to hold it above you. We would like for the people that come to our church to wrestle hard, but at the end of the day, see this thing as an authority over your life and mine. Jesus says in our closing, in our closing uh, a chapter in Luke chapter 24, he says, these are my words. I want you to circle that. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything written about, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. You and I need to stop reading ourselves into the scriptures and understand that this is redemption. This is a picture of Jesus Christ himself. And on every page, no matter how far back you go on in the Old Testament, no matter how far in the future you go in Revelation, it's all about Jesus. So all of these things, in Moses, yeah, it's about Jesus. In the prophets, it's about Jesus. In the Psalms, it's about Jesus. Why? Because we need to know what grounds us. 
at the center of the Christian experience is the Holy Scriptures. We cannot dodge it. We can't ignore it. The Scriptures are at the very center of our Christian experience. And you know who is at the very center of your Scriptures? Jesus and Jesus alone, and that's it. My sheep will know my And so this is, this series may seem academic. You may have to answer, you know, a few hard questions or to take some hard notes. But ultimately, we're not asking you to dive into your scriptures just to be smart, intelligent, or culturally aware. We want you to fall in love with Jesus this summer. And so when we preach, we want you to know that Jesus is in here. He's discoverable. It's written down. Black text on white pages over and over. Nouns, verbs, adjectives, so that you and I can understand him. Is he a mystery? Yes. Can he be known? Absolutely. And so at the conclusion of this message, which group are you? Are you a part of that group that are on the front lines of ministry where you are engaging on a daily, weekly, monthly basis people who truly have hard things to say about your faith and your Bible and your Jesus? And the more the questions come, you're like, whew, I wasn't ready for that. You are an evangelist, whether you like it or not. And when you engage these types of conversations, just know that there are good answers to be given. And so just know that that's your category. Category two is, have you started to question your faith? The scriptures here tells us that our hearts began to burn when he opened up the scriptures. Did our hearts not burn when he began to speak? Maybe there are some of you in here that have more questions in your heart than truly affection for Jesus. Maybe this summer is a time and place where you just hunker down and you will not move until you say, let my hearts burn when understanding you inside these scriptures. But we would encourage you, if you're in category two, don't be afraid of the hard questions. I'm not afraid of them. The elders are not. The staff is not. The deacons are not. We're not afraid of the hardest questions because we know that God is sufficient for those. And lastly, the third group, maybe you're just too passive when it comes to the Bible. Maybe you find yourself in a category where you're a little bit biblically illiterate. Well, that's okay. We're going to throw a lot of data at you this summer. We're going to try to keep get you on the same page. We want you to know things, not just that katavim is a word, right, and Torah is it, but it actually has a place, and we want it to make more sense to you. And so as it is written, right, everything is about me. Jesus Christ is calling us to himself this morning. Let us pray. And so King Jesus, we pray in your good name, that we would understand more and more and more of your scriptures. So Lord, I just pray, and we're just going to pause for a minute and just have a little reflection. Lord, where, are, where am I in terms of the Bible? Where is its place in my life today? And I want you to just wrestle with that this morning. Lord, we're grateful for this book, 
these holy scriptures, your Bible. We pray that as the summer moves, that you are moving our hearts and you're going to move our minds so that you will move our, our lives to come more in line with you. Right before you ascend into heaven, you tell us that the greatest thing that we could do is to teach them to obey all that I have commanded to you. How can we teach and how can we obey without commands and how do we have commands unless they're written down that you and your great foreknowledge have done for us? Help us to worship you this morning. And so Lord, this is a Sunday of repentance because too many of us have been dismissive of the scriptures. Maybe it's because it's too big or too long or too confusing. I pray that you are reawakening our hearts even now. But Lord, to do that, God, you, you have to do the, hard, the heavy lifting in our hearts because we're going to want to walk away when it gets too hard. We're going to want to shrug our shoulders when the questions come to us by the people that are asking the hard questions about you and the scriptures. I pray for tenacity. I pray for perseverance for the saints this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.